Good morning. Uh, it's so good to be back. Um, I never went away. It really doesn't feel like it. If you have a Bible, do you want to turn to Matthew 27? Matthew chapter 27, where we've been, if you've been if you missed the last two mornings, or if you've just not been listening, um, the first day we looked at Jesus as king of the wind from the story of the calming of the storm. And we've been looking at the f- how to fear God and why the fear of Jesus is a good thing. And we looked at Jesus as king of the wind. And then yesterday we looked at Jesus as king of the sea. I looked at him walking on the water, getting into the boat and saying, take heart, I am, don't be afraid. This morning we're going to look at Jesus as king of the earth. And we can look at how it is that something really strange happens twice in the most important story in human history, which is the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's in Matthew 27 to 28. And the events that we're about to read are the most important things that have ever happened. Right? You know the story probably, no matter how much exposure you have to church, you probably know that Jesus died and rose again, whether that's something you currently believe or have just heard and rejected, but that's something you've heard about, I'm sure. And without these events we're going to read, there would be really no hope in the sense that the world would not be about to get any better because there is no chance that the world is significantly going to improve because God has not done anything to fix it and to heal it. And the creator of the world has left us to our own devices to figure it out. Without the cross and the empty tomb, sin would continue to hold us hostage. Death would continue to be the pointless full stop at the end of every paragraph of human life. If these chapters aren't true, that's the reality. But as we read it now, I want you to look out for two things that you might not have seen when we read this story, right? Two things you may never have noticed as you hear about the cross and resurrection of Jesus, which is the foundation of all Christian hope and faith. I want you to notice two things. The first thing, as I read it, it's a longer passage than the last couple of days. So try and stay focused by looking out for two different things. One, have a look out for any reference you can hear to fear or being afraid or awe or anything like that. Okay, so anything that involves people being frightened or scared, whether in good or bad ways, look out for that. And then the second thing I want you to look out for is any ways in which the earth, that is the physical planet that we are on, any ways in which the earth responds to the death and the resurrection of the king of the earth. Okay, so how does, what does the earth do? Not just what do the people do, but what does the physical world, the planet actually do in response to these events? Okay, you keep your eyes out for those two things. And we'll read Matthew 27 and beginning at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, wait, let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who'd fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 
When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who'd followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he'd cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. There's a friend of mine who has a note in his Bible at this point. He highlights that line, go, make it as secure as you can, and says, this is the most hilarious line in the Bible. Good luck with that. <laughs> like, go and make it as secure as you can. It's like, <laughs> I know what's about to happen now. Now, after, So they made, went and made the tomb secure by sitting the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, as he said. Hallelujah. This is the word of God. Okay. First off, did you spot the two references, or the various references rather, to fear, awe, or being afraid? I don't know how many you found. I found three. Three times somebody is described as fearing or being in awe or afraid. The first one is the response of the Roman soldiers. When, they, when Jesus dies and all of these events take place, the Roman soldiers are in awe and fear. Right? Verse 54 when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And that's reference number one. The second one was the response of the guards. This is a different group of soldiers on a different day. But the response of the guards on the Sunday morning when the angel appears and rolls back the stone, it says, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, I've been frightened. I've told you a few stories about myself being frightened this week. I've never been so frightened that I have basically collapsed in a heap and looked like I was dead. But that's how scared these guards are. So you have Roman soldiers filled with awe. You have guards who are so terrified that they look like they're dead. And then the third example of fear in the story is that the angel reassures the women and comes to them and says, don't be afraid because I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said he would. Right? So this is a very famous story, but in some way, I mean, it's the most famous story in human history. It's the story that means that the date you write, every time you write 2019, the reason why it's 2019 years is because of this weekend. The reason why we date our lives around this man is because of this event. It's the most famous story in the world. And yet, 
it's in some ways a story about fear. About three different kinds of people who do or do not fear God and do or do not fear the situation they're in. There are people like the guards who oppose Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And for them, the news that Jesus is alive is so terrifying as to make them tremble and become dead guys. So they're just out for the count in fear because of what they've seen. They are so opposed to Jesus and his resurrection from the dead that the news that he is alive is enough to make them die with fear or at least so appear to be dead. Right? That's one reaction. Another reaction is there are people who don't oppose Jesus. They love Jesus. They followed him for the last three years. They desperately want him to be alive. And that's the women. And the women, by the way, come off much better than the men in pretty much throughout the Gospels and certainly in the resurrection stories. The men all run away. The women are there faithfully standing by. And it's been my experience that that's often true in the church today as well. And, and the women are there and they love Jesus and they're standing alongside him. and They want him to be alive. And for them, the fact that Jesus is alive is the most comforting news they could ever hear. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. So you have two groups of people, the guards and the women, who see the exact same set of events, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the empty tomb, the angel, but the women think this is wonderful, comforting news, and the guards think it's terrifying news. And then there are people in the middle, like the centurion, and maybe like some of you, who are trying to make sense of what they think about the Jesus story. And these guys have opposed Jesus. They executed him, right? That's pretty bad in a way. They're the, literally the ones who put nails in his hands and left him up there to die and then went round later and went, well, we better break his legs. Oh, no, actually, he's dead already. Wow, better stick a spear into him to check. They're those guys. So they have opposed him, but they have seen the impact of his death on the world and it's made them reconsider. That may be you. You may be, well, I'm not the gods. I'm not so angry and hateful of Jesus that when I, if I heard he was alive, that would make me die with fear. But I'm not like the women either who are just so excited he's alive that I feel comfort and warmth and reassurance. I'm, I feel like I'm like these other guys. I'm somebody who has said a lot and maybe done a lot to oppose Jesus and his people. But I'm reconsidering because I've seen the impact of this man and this man's death in particular on the world. I notice that for those people, the the fear that they experienced was the fear of Jesus. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And there'll be some of you this morning who will come to that place of declaration for the first time, who will say for the first time in your life, truly, this man was the Son of God. So it's a story about fear. Who are you? Are you a guard? Are you a woman? Are you a centurion? It's a story about fear. But the second thing I said to look out for was not just the fear in the story, it was the response of the earth or the planet to the events of the resurrection and the crucifixion. Did you see those as well? Did you notice the way the earth responded? It's kind of strange if you hadn't noticed it before. So in the opening verse of the passage we read, you probably noticed this one because you were still looking out for it, the sky goes dark for three hours, right? You got that one? Clapometer if you got that one. Good, you saw that one, good. Creation responds to the death of the creator. The sky goes dark, and it's fascinating, isn't it, that when Jesus is born, there is brightness at midnight with the star in the sky. When Jesus dies, there is darkness at noon. 
It's like the, the world responds to the activity of its creator being born with brightness in the middle of the night and then dying with darkness in the middle of the day. Because the world responds, the earth responds to the king of the earth. So you have the sky going dark, you have the temple curtain being torn in two, but the main thing I noticed was the double whammy of earthquakes. And it's just so strange that there is an earthquake when Jesus dies and an earthquake when Jesus rises. Did any of you, Kapomata, for who spotted the earthquakes? <laughs> Lots of you, good, even more than the sky. This incredibly famous story is about earthquakes. I don't know how many of you had seen that before when you're going, wow, the resurrection of Jesus, how would I summarize this tale? I don't know how many of you would have said, well, really, it's a tale of two earthquakes. One when Jesus dies, one when Jesus rises. But that's what happened, right? So, verse 51, and the, this is when Jesus dies, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Verse 54, they saw the earthquake and what took place and were filled with awe and said, this was the Son of God. It's fascinating, isn't it? They, it doesn't say the centurion saw the love of Jesus for his enemies and became a believer. It says the centurion saw the earthquake and realized this was the son of God. Something about the shaking of the earth in response to the death of its maker on the cross has prompted this hard, tough soldier who is an executioner by profession. He bangs nails into people's flesh for a living and he's come to realize this man is the son of God because of an earthquake. Because he has seen the way that the sky's gone dark and the earth has shaken and he's realized this is no ordinary criminal. I've killed criminals before. In fact, I've just killed three. But this one, when he died, the whole world was different. So there's an earthquake at the death of Jesus. And then there's also an earthquake at the resurrection of Jesus. Right? Verses 1 to 2 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath... Towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake. That's amazing that there's two earthquakes on consecutive, in consecutive chapters. There's one at the death, one at the resurrection. The king of the earth dies and the world shakes. The king of the earth rises again and the world shakes. And in both cases, the result of the earthquake is fear in people whether it be a fear of God like terror that makes you like dead or a fear of God that makes you consider truly this man was the son of God. When the king of the earth dies and when the king of the earth rises, the earth shakes. And I want to ask, what on earth is going on and why does it matter? Why are the, what are the earthquakes doing here? Why would that be such an important detail that we'd hear both of those stories and regard them as significant enough for angels to speak about them and centurions to become apparently converted through them. I'd be surprised if I asked any of you, there's what, four, three or 4,000 of you out here listening to me right now, I'd be surprised if a single one of you would say, I got converted through an earthquake. It's not a normal testimony that we have. And yet here we have individuals seeing the earth shake and responding in faith or in absolute terror. So I want to ask, why does that happen? And by the way, this is not an isolated instance. I'm not, this isn't a preacher thing where you go, oh, interesting, I found a weird earthquake. Let's try and make a, a preach out of it. If you look through the Bible, you will find again and again this happens when God comes down. 
You'll find it when you go to Mount Sinai, right back and this is now a like a sort of timeline, I suppose, but you go back to the book of Exodus and God descends on the mountain and it shakes. And then you go to the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six and you find he sees the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple and the temple shook at the voice of these angels saying, holy, holy, holy. And then you would go again and again through the Bible and you'd find when God descends, everything seems to shake. There are earthquakes every which way until right you get to Hebrews chapter 12 and it says, but you, God is once again gonna shake the heavens and the earth, but you are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. But everything else is gonna get shaken because when God descends, that's what happens. The world shakes in response to the king of the earth. And so I'm asking, why is that true? What is the deal with earthquakes and shaking when God comes down? And I think that it's because shaking is what happens when something heavy and substantial lands in something light and trivial. That's what I think is going on in large part, that when something weighty collides with something flighty, the flighty thing gets shunted out the picture and the weighty thing causes a shaking. And don't you love that we can hear now the shaking outside of planes just flying overhead at the time. I don't, I, this keeps happening. I'm sorry about this with the wind and the rain and now it's this. So tomorrow watch out for fire. Anywhere you see fire, okay, just run. But isn't it, it's, it's glorious that when God descends in mighty power, there is a shaking. And it terrifies everybody. And the reason, I think, is because there is glory descending on that which was not glorious. And therefore, the collision makes everything shake and redistribute. Let me give you an example. When I, I don't know what you call it. What do you call the thing? I call it making a honeypot. When you jump into a swimming pool like this. Yeah? Or, I don't know, like, or a bomb or whatever posture you call it. But, you know, you run up, you run up and you jump. And the bigger you are, the bigger the splash, right? And when you do that, and I love doing it on a holiday, I'm a real child, and so I just, I love it because it makes my kids laugh, and you just leap into the pool and make as big a splash as you can. You cause a water quake because you are colliding with something that is less substantial than you. And that means you, we call it displacement, right? In physics, you displace the thing that's smaller than you because you are weighty, and in biblical terms, you're a bit more glorious than the thing you're displacing. So when you jump into it, it jumps out. And the bigger and heavier you are, the more of an impact you make. And if you were to throw something really big and heavy, not a person, but you threw an elephant into a pool, you'd see lot, lots of the water would go. And that effectively the elephant would cause a water quake. He would, the, the big heavy thing displaces the light shallow thing. And the light shallow thing has to make space for the elephant that's just arrived. Or imagine you found a frozen lake and the ice is like this thick maybe you know, a centimetre or two, and in English winter, maybe it's been a difficult winter, and, but you were to get up and find an enormous clod, like a huge uh, cube of gold that was like as, as tall as a person. And you found this tube of gold, and you somehow managed to winch it up on a crane and hover it over the ice, and then you dropped it, and this massive block of gold falls down and crashes into the ice. You would get an ice quake. Right? The gold wouldn't sit on the top, would it? The gold would smash through the ice and the ice would go and make the noise like that plane was making a moment ago. It would displace, it would be forced out of the picture because of the new weighty glorious reality that had just arrived. Well, the king of the earth, Jesus, the creator, the word become flesh, he is much, much more glorious and substantial than the world into which he comes. 
He is weightier. He is deeper and richer and more glorious than the earth that he created. So when he comes down on the earth in power on the Mount of Sinai, or he appears in a vision to Isaiah, or he comes into the earth and dies for the sin of the world and rises again on Easter Sunday, he is bigger and heavier and more substantial and chunky and more glorious than the thing he's landing in and everything shakes. And everything has to be redistributed in light of the weighty glory of the creator who has come to save it. And that's what happens in many ways when Jesus comes and collides with sin. So on the death of Christ, Jesus comes to collide with sin and he's more glorious than sin and therefore his arrival and his cry, it's finished, causes a sin quake. And the reverberations of sin, sin is not big enough and strong enough to hold the power of Jesus. The righteousness of God is greater than the sin of man. And so when they collide, all of the sin of man has to scatter and Jesus' victory causes an earthquake. And then on Sunday morning, you have the Son of God colliding, if you will, with death. And death itself represented by this huge stone across the tomb that's saying, we will not let you out. We will not let you out. Nobody ever comes back from the dead. And Jesus rises, takes off the clothes, folds them neatly at the side and walks out of the empty tomb to proclaim a new world. The son of God has collided in glory with death. And death is not strong enough and heavy enough to be able to cope with this enormous weighty glory that's arrived in the midst of it. And death gets scattered every which way. That's what happens. When the king of the earth collides with sin and death. I have a bucket of water here. You're going to have to take my word for it because you probably can't see into it. But what happens when people meet Jesus is exactly like that. Right? If you, you and I are like the water in this bowl. And for some people, people believe that the encounter they've had with Jesus was this really nice moment where Jesus very nicely and gently and lightly just came into their life and sat neatly on the top. And just, you can see, in fact, you can see it if I show you like, can you see that? Yeah? Just floating neatly on the top. People think it's lovely. I met Jesus. I remained entirely unchanged. All the bits of me that I like, all of my sin, all of my habits, all of my everything, got to stay exactly as it was. And now I've got a nice little topping of Jesus on the top of my life. Isn't it nice? I think Jesus has really supplemented my life. He's empowered my life choices. He's made it easier to become popular or rich or whatever it might be that I wanted to be. I get to keep all of me and Jesus is sitting on the top. Ah, oh, I love you, Lord. Let me tell you, if that's been your experience of encountering Jesus, you haven't met Jesus. You've encountered a version of him that you've invented. Why? Because you are more glorious than he is. You are weightier. The reason why this is floating is because the water is weightier than the paper. And if your life has not had to be reorganized completely and sent flying by the presence of Jesus in your midst, you haven't met him. You've met a version of him that you've cooked up in your head. What happens when you meet the real Jesus is that he comes into your life and everything is forced to redistribute all over the place. And you can see bits of your old life flying and ending up over here and spilling all over the floor and cascading for miles because there's no way that you can withstand the glory of the creator who comes to save you. And when he does your sin and your death and all of your preferences go for miles, they are redistributed around the room, totally unable to withstand the glory of Jesus who steps into your life and causes a self-quake. So the little bits of you are now all over your shirts and all over the floor and going to be slipped on by the band. That's what happens when you meet the real Jesus. 
Now there is a rock in here and the main thing you would notice about it is that there is something huge in the midst of this bowl around which everything else must revolve. The water doesn't get to debate with the rock. Do you know what? I was really kind of enjoying being here. Is it okay? No. And you're like, no! And flying out of the bowl. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. That's what happens when sin meets the creator of the world. That's what happens when sin meets the righteous one. It's what happens when death meets the living one. The living one lands in its midst and scatters it. And that's why there's an earthquake. The king of the earth has collided with sin and death. And he's won. And on that basis... On that basis, the centurion says, truly, this man was the son of God. Because he's recognized that this man's death and this man's resurrection, two days later, have caused a collision with the two mightiest powers the world has to do business with. And he's conquered them both so easily that the world has shaken with its mere power. But notice, the punchline of the resurrection story For all I said about fear, not just this week, but even this morning, the punchline of the resurrection story is actually not, you should be afraid. The punchline of the resurrection story is, don't be afraid. You see, if you don't fear Jesus, like the guards didn't, you have a lot to be scared of by the idea that he's alive. But if you do, if you fear Jesus, then you have nothing else to be afraid of ever. Don't be afraid, the angel says to the women, verse 5 and 6, don't be afraid, he's not here, he has risen. Because Jesus is alive, you don't have to be scared anymore, is what he's saying to them. Now the angel's reassurance doesn't quite work, because immediately afterwards in verse 8, which we didn't read earlier, but if you read on, immediately afterwards in verse 8, it says of the women, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So They are now, the the angel said, you don't need to be afraid. And they've gone, well, we're kind of a little bit afraid because after all, we have just met an angel and seen an earthquake and heard that Jesus is alive. And that's kind of scary and doesn't happen every day. But the fear is mixed with great joy. So it says, they ran to their disciples with fear and great joy. Have you ever experienced fear and great joy? Again, I told you the story on, on the first day. I love bungee jumping. Bungee jumping is a moment for me of fear and great joy. You're standing, looking down 400 feet. You want to jump. At the last minute, as you're about to bend your legs and leap, something in your body says, no, 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 no. I'm not supposed to jump into the jaws of death. And you have to like, overpower your own muscles in order to do it. But as you jump, you experience a rush of fear and great joy. You could use the word exhilaration for it. Right? You've been exhilarated before. You've experienced fear and great joy. So the women, they're experiencing fear, but it's fear that is seemingly being outweighed by the joy of the news they have to tell. There is something exhilarating about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. They run going, he's alive. I can't believe this. This is incredible. Filled with fear and great joy. And then they meet Jesus. And in verse 9 it says, behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And suddenly the fear of all the things they've witnessed, the fear of losing Jesus, the fear of just weeping through the Saturday, expecting him to no no longer be there, the fear of finding the tomb empty and thinking someone stole the body, the fear of the earthquake, the fear of seeing an angel is now banished as they meet Jesus in person. And he says, Shalom. Shalom. 
greetings, hello. The fear is driven out by the joy of seeing him. And then what's the first thing Jesus says to them? Anybody want to guess what the first thing Jesus says to them, having risen from the dead, is? Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see you. That's the words from the new world. That's the words of the new creation spoken into the old creation. That's the words that the king of the earth speaks to his people while they still live on the earth. Don't be afraid. If you are afraid of Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of anybody else. If you stand in awe of him, nothing else need hold any fear for you. The cross and the empty tomb of Jesus change everything. So there is still a place, a very important place, friends, for us to stand in awe like the centurion, And for us to be exhilarated, like the women running to tell the news, fear mixed with joy. There is still a place for that. But the overriding message is, fear not. Don't be afraid. And the reason is simple. All of the scariest things in creation in this bowl have ganged up together to try and fight the king of the earth. Evil, darkness, pain, lies, Satan, death itself. All of the scariest things have come together at the cross to fight against the Lord Jesus Christ. And they lost. And not only that, but Good Friday and Easter Sunday says to us, yes, all of the worst things this world has to throw at you have fought Jesus and lost, but they also say that because of Easter Sunday and because of Good Friday, God, the only one who matters, is for you and not against you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how is he not also along with him freely going to give us everything else? If God is for us, who can be against us? So when the angel and the king of the earth speak to you from the new world, they say the exact same thing. Don't be afraid. He's not here. He is risen. We very quietly stand. Father, we thank you for the amazing triumph of Jesus over sin and death. We thank you for the weight of glory. We thank you for the king of the earth conquering sin darkness, pain, evil, deception, lies, adultery, all of the sins of this world that you have walked into the world to save us from, you have taken them all on and destroyed them at the cross and the resurrection. And on that basis, we have nothing to be afraid of. We are so grateful. We are so happy to be your children. And Lord, we want to stand without fear and proclaim again, he's not here. He's risen. Hallelujah.